to the Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcasts, which are now entering their fourth year of broadcast. Who would have thought that when Seth died in 2014, all these years later we would be making a podcast in his memory? It's a really exciting time for Charlotte and me. We've been recording 30 podcasts, one for each day in November, as part of Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month. Charlotte has been talking to all kinds of people involved with pancreatic cancer and over the next 30 days we will hear lots of personal stories. Stories of love, stories of commitment, stories of hope and sadly, as always with pancreatic cancer, stories of loss. Each story will help you understand the challenges of pancreatic cancer as well as the signs and symptoms and will help you to have conversations with people and ensure that they are aware of what to look out for. Join us each day for our Purple Rainbow podcast. If you miss any of the episodes, you can catch up by visiting www.purplerainbow.co.uk where all of the podcasts will be stored for you to listen to at your leisure. Follow us on your podcast channel, like and share, and join us for an interesting month with lots of stories of love and hope. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Purple Rainbow Pancreatic Cancer Podcast. I'm Charlotte and today is Sunday the 7th of November. At the end of every week, we're going to take a moment to reflect on what we've heard so far in these daily podcasts. And in some cases, you're going to hear bits of the interviews you haven't heard yet. This first week has been a busy one as we kicked off our challenge to make 30 podcasts over 30 days, all to raise awareness of pancreatic cancer during November. Thank you so much for your support so far. It has been brilliant to see so many positive messages and some really lovely feedback. Thank you for that. The first guest we heard from in the week was Tony Hull. He's Seth and Leslie's friend from when they worked together at MFI. Tony got roped into taking part in the London to Brighton cycling event by Leslie, all to raise money as part of Seth's legacy. And Tony shared with me how it didn't quite go to plan. We kind of set off and it, it's quite funny really because the group that we was in, there, there was a few few of the guys there that were obviously quite into their cycling. So we kind of sped off a little bit, if you like, and we kind of caught the group up that was the stragglers from the group in front. And... Um, and we got to, we must have been about five or six miles in, and we got to this T junction. God, it's such a memory. Um, and, and there must have been about a hundred, at least a hundred riders at this T junction. They, they didn't appear to me to, to be what I, I would call uh, out and out cyclists, race, races, if you like, lone riders. So, I thought to myself, what I'll do is I can see these people. I want to get in front of all this this lot. So I'm going to go on the outside. And if I catch this right, I can just, without taking my feet out the pedals, I can go time it right, get to the junction, no cars are coming, and just shoot straight past them. So like Formula One driver, I was just going to take them all. And I, I got to the T-junction, and I, and I timed it 
I thought I timed it perfectly. I I see some cars come in and I'm thinking, let that car go. So I slowed up and then I see a gap and I thought, that's perfect. I'm, I'm just going to go for it. And when I got right in front of everybody, I see this bus coming. How I didn't see the bus coming from before, I have absolutely no idea. So I had to, I, I, I was either go and get risk getting hit by the bus, which obviously wasn't wasn't on my game plan, or I had to break suddenly, and, and I just broke suddenly and come to a complete stop. But I was in such a fluster that I'd actually missed that tiny break where I could have got in front of everybody. I forgot to take my feet out of the clips on the pedals. And as I come to a stop, I just sat there in slow motion on the bike and I couldn't get my feet out. And I just, it was like a comedy sketch. I just went over in front of about, it must have been at least 100 people. And I just fell to the floor. Um, I was so embarrassed. I kind of got up and it was just, it was, it was just funny. And everybody was started laughing and said, oh, you didn't see that coming. And this, and I looked round, and the whole, it must have been a hundred people was just in fits of laughter as I laid on the floor and with my feet still in the, in the pedals. I really enjoyed hearing about what's going on at the Europac trial in Liverpool. The study is looking at cases of pancreatic cancer that run in families. Now it's important to stress that this is rare, but the research does have the potential to help everybody in the long term. I asked Phil and Annabelle from the team just what motivates them to be part of a research team. My clinical practice is based on what we have previously got to find out about all the conditions that that, um, I'm involved in managing. By being involved in research, it it allows for the development of that next stage, you know, that kind of, you know, well, what else can we add to, to patient's care? What is it that we can do to further understand the, the conditions that we're, um, that we're helping our, our patients with? That really my big motivation is, you know, being able to understand the, um, the conditions that people are affected by to the sort of degree that allows for us to, to give the best possible outcome to, to people that we treat. Yeah, could totally agree with that. It's, it's really rewarding as well. Like, although, um, I mean, frankly speaking, the way we're not finding, there's no cure being found here right now, but, you know, the, the way that we screen people and we offer them that year where they've, they've had that screening at the beginning of the year and then for the rest of the year, then they get those results and they don't have to worry. And being able to do that for those people that have got these, that have been so badly affected by pancreatic cancer and seeing their family members affected by it, it's so rewarding to be able to say to them, okay, like everything's normal this year, you've got nothing to worry about and we'll see you again next year. And it's like, it's the re- sense of relief that you can give those people. Um, and just helping people, even if they're not, eligible for screening as well being able to reassure them saying we've assessed your risk and we don't feel that you're you're at a high enough risk to subject you to this screening and being able to tell people that and and just be this you know this information hub for these people as well is is so rewarding and it's it's just like probably the best part of all of it being able to help so many people even if 
it's not offering them screening or if it is offering them screening. And if you want to find out more about the study, you can go to the website europactrial.com. And of course, I will share that link again in the show notes. I also had the opportunity this week to speak with Dr. Noreen Starling from the Royal Marsden in London. We chatted all about the work she does as an oncologist and in research. Now, I couldn't quite squeeze all of the conversation into the episode, but I wanted you to hear her telling me what a normal day looks like for her. Not that anyone ever has a normal day. My role is 50-50 clinical and clinical research. Um, so when I have my clinical days, they're, they're full on busy clinical days, whether it's seeing patients in our on treatment clinic, uh, including patients with pancreatic cancer, but I treat, um, you know, a broader group of patients with gut cancers. We have a research clinic where people are, you know, enrolling into clinical trials and with newer treatments, novel treatments, which may be the next big treatment. And also um, seeing patients in our new patient clinic and our follow-up patient clinic, where we're really seeing particularly our new patients for the first time, you know, that it's that whole um, navigating really what is quite a difficult time for the patient and their family and trying to provide support, information, guidance, treatment planning, and then, you know, uh, managing that patient through their, their journey and their pathway. And then the research side of things, we have a, a big research team here uh, at Marsden, which is both clinical and translational and interacting with laboratories at the Institute of Cancer Research, who are our academic partner. So it's meeting with the teams, looking at how our existing research projects are going, what our future research projects are going to be, you know, having defined our strategy and, and the plan um, and working with, with different partners, including industry. You're also a trustee at Pancreatic Cancer UK. How did that come about? And what is it, what is it like doing that? It was a bit insidious. How did it come about? I think I was talking to Diana, uh, the CEO, who's fantastic and just was so impressed with the charity. I mean, we all know about Pancreatic Cancer UK uh, in in the UK, it's the leading pancreatic cancer charity, um, and you know, the, speaking to Diana, who was picking my brains about various aspects of care and research and service and where we we're going to and the digital agenda, um, it was just just very forward thinking, um, and just a, a charity that I think um, does it really well across the spectrum of you know, support to patients, um, research and driving the, res- you know, helping support and drive the research agenda uh, and also advocacy. And I think these three things are deeply interrelated um, and I thought we're, we're done really well. So actually when I was asked whether I would be interested to join the charity, I, you know, it, was, it felt like a no-brainer really. Now, I know I say this all the time, but it truly is a real privilege to be part of these conversations. And this week, I was struck by the bravery of four women, two of whom I got to talk to. First off, there's Claire. Now, Claire's story was complex because not only was she dealing with her mum's pancreatic cancer diagnosis, she also had to make sure her dad was cared for and care for her brother too. She spoke to me about how brave her mum was. And you know what? I don't think Claire realises just how brave and strong she is too. 
One part of the conversation that really struck me was the relationship she had with her mum and how the pair used what I'm going to define as particularly Northern and I say this as someone who has a Lancastrian heritage, Lancastrian humour to help them both get through some of the tougher days. So we used to joke in front of the Macmillan nurse and she looked at us both like we were. <laughs> we talk about, you know, mum said, when I'm gone and a bit, oh, mum, stop it, shut up. I just, no, I'm not talking about this. No, when I'm gone and you lose your keys or you lose something, your marbles, she said, I will come back and try and help you, you know. She said, you'll know it's me. And I thought, oh, do you know what? If you can't beat them, let's come enjoying them. This, this was all in front of the Macmillan nurse. And I said, just promise me, mum. I said, can we just not have any poltergeist activity? I said, I'm telling you now, if there's anything slightly resembling poltergeist activity, as in lights flashing or taps turning on, on their own, I said, I will know who to blame. Oh, that's it. I mean, the nurse was just, these two women. And I said, it's all right, love. I said, I said, honestly, it's taken a while to get to this stage for me. It's a coping mechanism. I said, but we have the same sense of humour. <laughs> and actually, that helped me. That did help. It sounds weird. Doesn't it? Don't you think we're, well, at least I'm a sick individual. <laughs> Again, I'm going to blame my Lancastrian heritage as well because my mum's Lancastrian. So maybe that's where it, it comes from kind of thing. But I think, I think we all have our ways of dealing with things. And if, if your mum knew to make you laugh, that was going to make her feel good. And it was going to make you feel good as well for that little minute. You could both make each other laugh. And it just takes it away from the situation, doesn't it? We, it, it sort of, we'd sort of drag it on, you know. We'd make a whole conversation. We'd do it again in front of the Macmillan nurse. And she got used to us after that. I think the first time she was shot to a very core, bless her. <laughs> she probably had to go home and have a stiff brandy. But the second time, then what, we were talking about something um, along the lines of ghosts and something like that. And then, she may have said at that point again, you know, when when I'm gone, and I'm like, oh, here we go. I am going to come back and I'm going to help you. She said, because I know what you're like, you are going to lose things. Um, and the Macmillan nurse said, it sounds like you've accepted this really well. And I said, no, I haven't at all. I said, that's the thing, I haven't. I said, this is a coping mechanism for both of us. Um, she had ideas she didn't. She wanted to talk about a funeral and she wanted to talk about a wake and she didn't want a wake. In the end, sort of, the family and me, I put my hand up, we had some family members coming from a long way away and we decided it wasn't fair not to provide something, so we we did have a wake. That's their sort of bittersweet memories. And they, yeah, it does make me laugh. And the, straight, the strange thing was, I just feel, it feels, it, it, if there's ever an event that's more inappropriate to laugh, it should be that, you know. <laughs> I did have a time when I was in the house on my own and, and had three dogs, but they didn't come upstairs. So it was literally just me in the house. It was a big house, far too big for me on my own, an old 
Victorian house. Um, and one night, the taps in the bathroom did switch on by themselves. And I heard them from downstairs. So I went upstairs and I said out loud, I had several experiences, I had several signs from mum, dreams, all sorts of little things. And, and, and I believe, and that's enough for me, you know, that, that, that has helped me and I still believe. Um, I know that not everybody does or will. Um, I just can't believe that when we're gone, that's it. I just, something, I, I, I can't, no, I don't believe that. Maybe it's different for everyone. Um, but yeah, I went upstairs and told her off and I said, what did I tell you about poltergeist activity? <laughs> and talking of strong women, how can I not mention Dominique and her mum? Last year, um, as she was recovering from the Whipple procedure when she was at home, um, I decided, well, I need something. I need something other than just fussing over her and, and putting all my time and watching her like a hawk constantly to see any changes in her. And she needs a bit of fun as well. So there's Challenge 24 that happens every single year for um, Pancreatic Cancer UK. And we thought, okay, well, how can we make this a little bit different? Because number one, I'm not particularly fit. So me running a mile <laughs> or running 24 miles or walking 24 miles probably wasn't going to happen. So what we did is we set up a fundraiser and um, we called it 24 daft things to stick it to pancreatic cancer. And what happened was um, if you made a donation to the fundraiser, you could suggest something stupid for me to do and it would go in a jar. And then every day throughout November, I would film my mum picking out um, the task from the jar and then she would help me film or we would film together um, that process uh, and, and some of the, the insane things. <laughs> people were pretty kind. I mean, if it were me, I might have suggested some crazier things, but people were generally pretty kind. Although I did make an absolute ass of myself a few times. So what were you doing? What were some of the tasks that you were set? Um, I had to shave off part of my eyebrow. I had to do a drag routine. Um, I had to wear as many items of clothing as I possibly could and go out into the street and scream, I'm the prettiest pinata and then dance to Mexican <laughs> music. Uh, <laughs> um, I had to make like a silent movie. I had to, uh, what other ones were there? Um, had to do a fashion show with only household items. Um, Sorry, and you think this was quite kind? <laughs> I honestly, they could have got away with way worse. Um, I had to give myself an ice bucket challenge. Um, what else? Um, I um, I pole dance as well. So I wear these like ridiculously big heels uh, and I had to go around a local park in, in the middle of winter in hot pants and heels and do a lap <laughs> of the park. So... Um, it gave, it gave other people a laugh too, I think. Yeah, I'm still not convinced Dominique's friends were kind to her with those challenges. And now I'm also wondering what she considers worse than those things that she described. And you know what? If we're lucky, we might find out. And maybe we'll get mum on as well to talk about it. We've done a few other, um, a few other fundraisers since then, um, like ran a couple of miles you know, throughout the month. And we did a big sponsored, like, 20-mile walk and her work colleagues all joined in recently. So this month, we're just going to take stock uh, and we're going to watch everyone else and support everyone else and, and donate to everyone else's fundraisers that we can find. And then I think in the new year, we're going to um, work on 
doing another, I need to try and up, this is the thing, I need to try and outdo myself now, don't I? So I need time to plan. <laughs> and I think um, we want to raise some money for a, a support organisation that helped us a lot um, and um, called the Maggie Centre. Um, and they're dotted all over the place. And so next year, I think we want to focus on on raising some money for them because they gave us so much support. Um, you know, they gave us therapy. They gave us like just, they were just amazing and such a friendly ear on the other end of the phone or face-to-face -face for us. So I want to do something big. I just don't know what it is yet. <laughs> when you do know what it is, you're coming back on the podcast and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Good, all right, all right. Thank you to everybody who took part in the podcast this week and of course thank you to you for listening as well leslie and i would love to hear your thoughts your feedback and your messages you can get in touch with us at purplerainbow.co.uk if you've missed any of this week's episodes you can catch up they're not going anywhere so don't panic and don't forget to follow this podcast in your podcast app so you don't miss any of the others from the daily podcast special for pancreatic cancer awareness month thank you again for listening and of course i'll be back tomorrow with another episode